Good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Greg, and I'm reading the second reading for us today, which is from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 16. The first one is entitled, Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them and, all, and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was also called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. We give you thanks for this, the word of God. Thank you, Greg. I did hear from Elise one this morning that one came to church one hour earlier this morning. That's dedication. Rewards in heaven for you. <laughs> and wasn't that a wonderful kids talk? I feel like um, what they were able to do in five minutes, I'll attempt to do in 30 minutes, but it was a very clear kids talk. Well, let's uh, turn to this passage. Let's turn to God once again in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, may your spirit work in our hearts to convict us, to remind us of the things of God, guide us, teach us, so that we might live lives honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage today is largely about the Sabbath. Do we uphold the Sabbath as Christians, or is it just the same as every single other day of the week? Is there an abiding principle that we must be considering and thinking about each week, a one in seven? Or does it not matter at all? Now, I suspect in a church, in a group this size, there are many differing opinions and even convictions about this. 
or it might even be something that's new to you, something you've never really considered as important enough to consider. But with this passage, what Jesus addresses about the Sabbath still has relevance for us today. But before we get into this passage, and perhaps to help us better understand this passage, I thought I'll spend some time at the beginning just to think and reflect on the Sabbath. Why is it important? Where did it first come from? You see, the way our society has evolved over even just the last few decades has meant that the Christian Sabbath, which we consider to be the, the Sunday, which is why we gather now on the Sunday, which is where you sometimes hear of the Lord's Day, has become so busy and so crowded, so squeezed out that it's almost like just any other day of the week. But it wasn't always like that. I grew up in the, the late 70s, 80s, and it was a very different Australia back then, very different society. Do you know back then what was open on Sundays? And some of you will remember this. In fact, some of you are way older than I am, and you'll remember a different season of time in our society. But what was open on Sundays back then? Well, hospitals, of course. You need the hospitals. But hardly anything else. Do you remember that, some of you? The shops weren't open, shopping centres, supermarkets were not opened. What was open? The milk bars, petrol stations, and only some of the petrol stations were open, and that's because of the Sunday trading restrictions. In fact, back then, you, you don't have AFL games on the Sundays as well. But of course, that has all changed. Society has evolved, and Sunday seems to be like just any other day. But where did this idea of a day of rest come from? Well, in the Western world, you can trace it all the way back to 321 AD to the first Christian emperor over the Roman Empire, Constantine. When he became a Christian and when he became emperor, he decreed that Sunday would be observed as a Roman day of rest. And where did he get that idea from? Well, from the Christians who set aside Sundays after the resurrection of Jesus to be the day when Christians met and worshipped God. But of course, the origin of the day of rest did not begin with the Christians, nor did it begin with the Jews and their Sabbath. You see, the weekly cycle of seven days was not a human idea. It was not as though we were working so much and we felt I can't be bothered working anymore. I need a weekend. I need a day off. And we came up with that idea. Not at all. It was, in fact, God's design from the very beginning at creation when he instituted that day that is different and he stitched that into the moral fabric of creation. When God set the cycle, the pattern at creation, he instituted something for all creation, just like at the very beginning, he instituted the institution of marriage. One man, one woman, married for life, for all creation, for all human beings. It's universal. And so he also instituted a day of rest for all creation. We see this right from the very beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we read, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had, been, had done. Now, now what you should find fascinating in that passage is 
why did God have to set aside our seventh day? Was God so tired, so physically fatigued, so exhausted from his work of creating that he thought, I just need a break? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, God continues to sustain and uphold all life in the world. And God could have designed the world so that it was six days. Six days of work and come next week, it's another six day of work. God could have done that and we'll be working, 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 week after week after week. But in fact, by God's design, we have a seventh day that God made holy, that God set apart, different with a purpose. And it was that purpose so that he might rest and enjoy his creation right from the very beginning. And God, in his wisdom and goodness, invites us into that rest with him and to enjoy it with him. And that's why the first of the shorter catechism, what's the answer? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God invites us into his rest. And so the one in seven cycle pattern was God's idea, not ours. A day to rest in God and a day to rest from work. Spiritually, it is for God. Physically, it is from work. That's the creation pattern. And it is a good pattern for all creation, for all human beings. It's universal, not just for Christians, for all people. You just have to ask your GP, is it a good idea to take a day off work? And they'll say, of course it is. I asked one of our resident GPs in our church, and he said, our bodies are just not made to work and work and work and work. That's how you run yourself into the ground. That's how you run down your immune system. That's how you burn out. That's how you crash. That's how you get sick. In fact, it's something I had to learn growing up. I thought, you know, I'm Superman. I can go seven days. And I did that for a long time. I studied for seven days. I worked for seven days. But I saw how God's pattern was so wise. It's not okay, and it's not good. And so those of us who think, I don't need this pattern of one in seven, you're in fact working against the grain in which you were made. You're working against the grain in which you were made. The day of rest was stitched into the fabric of creation. But then we get the Sabbath law that was given to Moses the fourth commandment, and was given to them to observe this creation pattern. That's the first reason. Remember that creation pattern, the one in seven, the day of rest. But it was also given to the people of God, to Moses, so that they might remember their deliverance from Egypt. And so it has that dual purpose now. So we get to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So that's the creation pattern. And then goes on, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. To remember creation, that pattern, and to remember their deliverance. And the law was not meant to be an imposition. It was not meant to be restrictive. It was meant to be for their good, so that they might delight in God, to join in God's rest. A day of rest in God, 
and a day of rest from work. And that now sets the context for our passage, which we now turn. And so if you have your Bibles open, keep it to Luke 6. So here we meet these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. They're your nitpicky, self-righteous, stuck-up religious leaders who like to look down on those who cannot keep the laws. And they like to point it out. I got you. We got you. You broke the law there. That's what they like to do. And so the Sabbath law, which was meant to be for their good, so that they might delight in God, this law they've butchered, they've distorted, they've twisted, and they've used it as a weapon against the people. And so we see, look at verses 1 and 2, what happened? One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. As some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, when you read that part of the story, you must be wondering, what were the Pharisees doing out there in the fields? Just trying to you know, pick them out, cause trouble. But what was unlawful? Was it unlawful for the disciples to eat the grains? Did they break the fourth commandment? You see, the Pharisees were so intent on keeping the Sabbath law, the fourth commandment, that you cannot do any work whatsoever. And so I try to put this in the diagram. So this is the fourth commandment, and you have to keep the fourth commandment. They were so strict about that, that over the centuries, what happened was that they created a whole stack of other laws around that original commandment. And so they said, well, you must not sow you must not reap, you must not knead, you must not bake. So they created these other rules, other laws. Now what that is known as is, it's like hedging the law. They created hedges around the original law so that you don't get anywhere close to breaking the original law. And so they created sort of like this buffer zone between their law and God's law. And so what they, in effect, in effect, did was they took the focus away from God's law to their laws. And what they did, over time, they came up with a whole stack of laws, 39 other laws around the original law. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? I thought that was a good way to present this, like a hedge. And so they created 39 other laws around the original one. A little bit like in that kid's talk, you know, Lydia's mum giving her all these rules that she forgot the whole intent of the birthday party. And so they created all these laws, but in doing so, they distorted the purpose of the law. And so they go to Jesus, your disciples, they're breaking all these other rules, all these other laws. Now, before we be too quick to judge these Pharisees, we look at them and we think, we're not like that, these rule-keeping, uptight, nitpicking people. We're, we're certainly not like that, are we? But the reality is that it's not too hard to see how Christians, and perhaps even some of us, might fall into the same trap as the Pharisees and turn Christianity to be something about law-keeping, keeping the rules, obeying the laws, and taking away from the focus of what Christianity is about. I mean, the rabbis came up with 39 laws. We can come up with 100 laws, can't we? 
what you can or can't do on the Sunday. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. I mean, we can do that too, can't we? And so we must be careful to be too quick to judge. In fact, I came across this uh, funny story only this past week of a man back in 1643 by the name of Roger Scott from Massachusetts in the US. On the 28th of February, he was tried and found guilty. And what was the law he broke? He went to sleep at church. He fell asleep at church. He was tried and found guilty for that. This is 1643. And he was sentenced. And what was his sentence? A public whipping. What a cool law that is to have. I mean, I notice every week, yeah. (laughs) And back then, the custom was that during church services, a designated person would walk down the aisles and, and to look out for those sleeping with stick in hand. And this person, if they find a man falling asleep, they'll hit him on the head, wake him up. If it was a lady, they would just brush it across her cheek. Imagine if we were to do this. You know, board of management, that's your new job description. (laughs) But you see, we can add in laws ourselves, can't we? And so we need to be careful to be too quick to judge. But these Pharisees, obviously, they have distorted the Sabbath law by hedging all these other laws around the original law. And so how did Jesus respond? Well, a modern person might just say, mind your own business. But it's there, Jesus shows them how they got the laws of God so, so wrong. Jesus, in a sense, turns to them and says, Have you been reading the scriptures? Don't you know the Bible which you teach? You're meant to know this. And so look at verses 3 to 4. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. You see, only priests were allowed to eat the consecrated bread, which was brought in every Sabbath. The new ones were brought in, the old ones they could eat. And David ate it, which meant David broke the laws of God. But he was never condemned for it. Why? What was the lesson Jesus was teaching? Well, the laws are there not to blindly keep. You're not meant to blindly just keep the laws. The laws were never meant to prevent hungry people from eating, from good, from happening. And so just as David ate the bread, the disciples eating the grain, nothing wrong with that at all. And so the Pharisees' entire approach to God to religion, to the Sabbath was faulty and they've butchered it by their own laws. I mean, if we only obey all these laws, then God must be pleased with us. But Jesus goes to them, you are so, so wrong. You are so wrong, you've lost the plot. And now what Jesus does now, what Jesus says now, would have made them go so mad. Everything would have hit the fan. Because what Jesus did, what Jesus taught about the Sabbath, was to refocus it to be not about law-keeping, but to be about his person. The focus of the Sabbath, not about law-keeping, but about his person. And so Jesus says, verse 5, The Son of Man 
is the Lord of the Sabbath. There Jesus claimed, once again, we've heard Son of Man before, that title, the divine ruler, I am the Son of Man. But for Jesus to also say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, is to say, I'm the one who established, who instituted the Sabbath rest. It's for Jesus to say, I'm the creator. Standing before you is the creator of this world who gave you this Sabbath rest. It was set apart for me. On this day you are to find rest in me. Your day off, your Sabbath, I'm the Lord of it. Extraordinary claim. Now what we need to understand at this point, particularly as Christians, because I suspect we have varying views of the Sabbath. What we need to understand at this point was that Jesus did not do away with the Sabbath law. He did not throw it out. Just in case any one of us was to think, well, that's why we don't need a Christian Sabbath. We don't need to set apart any day. But, well, no. You see, what Jesus was doing here was correcting the abuse of the Sabbath, not removing and dismissing the use of the Sabbath. For Jesus to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath implies that there is still to be a Sabbath. And so the very next Sabbath, we continue on in this story. Jesus demonstrates what it means for him to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6, a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now whatever that meant, whatever that looked like, it couldn't have been good. It was his right hand, which perhaps meant it was his dominant hand. And in a society where with any disability you would have been outcast, there should have been pity upon this man. But the Pharisees, what were they like? Merciless. All they wanted was to catch Jesus healing on the Sabbath. It reveals the darkness of their own hearts, so focused on keeping the law that they've smothered the intent of the heart of God. But now we see something rather, rather ironic. They were trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus, in his brilliance, he turns it around and he traps them. Look at verse 9. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now, how would you answer that question? It's very easy, isn't it? You don't need a theological degree to answer that question. The intent of God's law was never to prevent any good from happening. But no one was game enough to answer. And so the man with the shriveled hand, he got up, he stood there in front of everyone, which again, if you think about, about that situation, would have been terrifying for him. Imagine standing there in front of everyone and displaying to everyone your disability. The shame, the anxiety... But yet this man trusted Jesus. And then verse 10, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. And what a Sabbath day that was for that man. What a day that was. He experienced what it meant for Jesus to be the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who grants rest, the one who gives life, the one who does good. And you can just imagine, now he's got his right hand. He can squeeze, he can shake hands, he can clap. But over there in the corner of the Pharisees, what were they doing? Well, verse 11, they were furious and began to discuss with one another 
what they might do to Jesus. Do you see the irony there? You know that question that Jesus asked? What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? What did they choose to do? They chose evil on the Sabbath. They chose evil and plotted to kill Jesus. So blinded by their law-keeping that they could not even see that they were about to break the sixth commandment of murder. No wonder why Jesus calls these Pharisees, these uptight religious leaders, whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you might look nice and pretty, but in, on the inside, you're like decaying corpse. They distorted the Sabbath. They distorted our relationship with God, their relationship with God. But here Jesus refocuses it all once again. The Sabbath was about him. And in the next part of the story, we won't spend much time on this. Jesus chooses 12 disciples and 11 of them eventually find in following Jesus what it meant for Jesus to be the Lord of the Sabbath. They find rest for their souls. And so now the question, what do you think this passage has to do with us today as Christians? Well, you see, what Jesus teaches about the Sabbath still has relevance for us today. You see, we're not meant to read this passage and think, well, what God wants here is for us to blindly keep all the laws, whatever they might be, to be legalistic about them, to be so rigid about Sundays and think God's going to be pleased with me because I obey this law and that law and that law. Not at all. That's just to be like the Pharisees. Nor are we to think, after reading this passage, well, Jesus has done away with the Sabbath rest. And so Christians, we don't have to keep any Sabbath at all. Not at all. Remember, Jesus was correcting the abuse of the Sabbath, not removing the rightful use of the Sabbath. You see, my thinking about the Sabbath changed as I grew up. I used to be far more casual about my Sundays, about the Sabbath. Far more casual. But when I look at the scriptures, I'm just not sure how you get away from the creation pattern. That was there before the laws. That was there right from the very beginning. Just like how God instituted marriage, he instituted the day of rest. How do you get away from that? It's not for us to. And I'm not sure how we can just dismiss one of the Ten Commandments and say, in the New Testament, we only have nine. Instead, what I think is happening is this. For Christians, there is an abiding Sabbath principle from creation that is embedded into the moral fabric of the world that finds its focus in Jesus and looks forward to heaven. I'll say that again. There is an abiding principle of the Sabbath from creation that finds its focus in Jesus and looks forward to heaven. And we see this Sabbath principle played out, applied on the Sundays for us Christians. Why Sundays? It's not because we find in the New Testament a law, thou shalt meet on the Sunday for church. We don't find such a law. But from the witness of Scripture, how the apostles gathered on the first day of the week to break bread, John called it the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. It was the day Jesus rose from the dead. 
It was the day the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And just as the Jews commemorated their deliverance from Egypt on the Sabbath, Christians now commemorate the greater deliverance, the death of Jesus at the Lord's Supper and the resurrection of Jesus on the Lord's Day. And that's why the first Christians started to meet on the Sunday after the resurrection of Jesus until Constantine, the first Christian emperor, made it law. You see, there is still an abiding Sabbath principle from creation that now finds its focus in Jesus. It is about him. It's not about rules and regulations, just like the kids talk. It is about him. But it also looks forward to heaven. A one in seven cycle. I mean, we get two days off, don't we? But it's a one in seven cycle. A day to rest in God and a day to rest from work. And so let me ask you a question. Have you and do you have a clear, intentional, thoughtful, wholehearted Sabbath rest as part of your weekly pattern? Have a think about that. Is that part of how you live your life? Do you have a clear, intentional, thoughtful, wholehearted Sabbath rest? Now, this may be a new teaching to some of us because we're new to Christianity. This is a new idea, this day of rest. Or to the rest of us, this might just be a helpful reminder. Because of how society has shifted so much, and society has influenced and shaped us so much more than we would like to admit. Have we thought about this? Maybe it's time to be reminded so that we might recalibrate, refocus, and perhaps even be challenged by. And again, I'm not talking merely here about having a day off each week so that you can rest physically from your work. That is good. But if that day is all about me, that is to miss the point. Nor am I talking about here, as long as I go to church each week, I've done my weekly religious Sabbath duty, costing me 90 minutes, but then the rest of the day, it's about me, it's my time. Well, that is also to miss the point. Nor am I talking about here, the other extreme, where my Sundays are so inflexible, so rigid, so many rules and regulations, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, that there is no joy at all in the Lord, that there is no delighting in God's goodness to us, that there is no remembering of his love for us and his forgiveness of our sins, that there is no reminder and remembering of the Spirit's work in our hearts. You see, we're not meant to smother out the goodness of the Sabbath with rules and regulations. That's to be a Pharisee. We must remember we're saved by grace, not by works. We don't forget that. But there are things, I think, even now the Christian church and our church must think about when it comes to this abiding Sabbath principle from creation. The first is let's think about working on Sundays. Have you thought about that? I suspect because of how culture have moved, we just go along with it. They work, we work as well. But let's think about working on Sundays. The creation mandate. The law of Moses is, ex is as explicit as you can get it. It is explicit about not working. But of course, there are some of us who cannot avoid working on Sundays. 
like me. I'm working. However, though I work on Sunday, Sunday is still my Sabbath rest in the Lord. It is still for the Lord. I still delight in God's goodness to me on this day. I still remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. My heart is filled with joy because of it. My physical rest comes on Monday, but Sunday is still my Sabbath rest to the Lord. But of course there are many and many within our church who cannot avoid working on Sundays, like mothers, especially mums with newborn babies. It is work 24-7, isn't it? That is work that is important. Well, you can't take a break from changing nappies on Sundays. You can't do that. And in our church, of course, there are many doctors who are on call. Shift work cannot avoid, cannot be avoided. But what did Jesus say in this passage? Is it lawful to save lives? Is it lawful to do good? And so for your work, you have to decide for yourself before the Lord with your work. But it is important for each one of us to at least think, if I do work and you do choose to work, is it out of necessity? Is it because it is an act of mercy? Or is it simply because of money? You have to ask yourself that question. The lure is there, isn't it? Never used to be when all the shopping centres and supermarkets were closed, but now double pay. The lure is there. You have to decide. And of course in life there are seasons. You know, we can't be legalistic about this. There are seasons in life where it is difficult to keep to that pattern of one in seven, one in seven, that cycle, that creation pattern. We're not meant to go around and scrutinize each other's lives like Pharisees. We don't do that. We're not waiting in the grain fields just to catch people out. We don't do that. But then the question becomes, if there is a season in life where I am working seven days, whatever that might look like, you have to ask yourself the question, how long will this go for until I get back to that creation pattern? It is still a good pattern from creation, which is for my good. Even students and our studies. I mean, I should have been taught this when I was younger. Do I cram all my work on the Sundays because I haven't organized myself well enough and I've got no time for God at all? Because, you see, to have a day of rest is not just a physical matter, but it is a spiritual matter. Because when you say... I'm taking a day off for God, resting in him, resting from work. What are you actually displaying? What are you communicating? What are you showing? You are showing your deep trust in God. If I stop working, God will provide. If I stop working, the world will continue. God still reigns. He still rules. The world does not fall on my shoulders, but on God's. I express trust when I take a day off. And so Sundays, working, you have to think about it. The next one, a briefer point, online church. It is the world over now, isn't it? Online church. I think it is a great thing that God has given us, the blessing of online services with the technology, especially over the last two years. And there are vulnerable people amongst us in our church who need it. 
in isolation, sick at home, and online services serves those people for very good reasons. However, this is my fear, that there are some who start seeing online services as a substitute for being in person. That is my fear. I'll happily go shopping in person. I'll happily go to the cafe in person. You have to. You can't do that online, can you? I'll go to the party in person, but online church, let's just keep it online. I mean, you have to ask yourself the question. If I'm part of the body of Christ, I'm the finger of the body, what good is the finger separated from the body? If I'm at home by myself with my spouse, just with my family, away from the family of God. And if I have children, you have to ask yourself, what am I modelling to my children? What am I modelling to my children? Because they will learn from you what is important. Will my children grow up with Christian friends, Christian peers where they'll encourage each other in the faith, keep each other accountable so that they'll walk in the faith, because, you see, we don't have our children with us forever. We all know that, don't you? We don't have our children with us forever. Once they taste the freedom of university life, and if they are not yet established in the gospel, what may happen? We have seen, even in our church, people fall away. People fall away. You see, in our family, not just because I'm a minister, even before I became a minister, in our family... Sunday is the reference point. As busy as life is, that is the datum line. We come back to that reference point. It is for the Lord. It is for the Lord. And so let me ask you again, do you have a clear, intentional, thoughtful, wholehearted Sabbath rest? Not saying that it has to be 24 hours and we can be so uptight about that, so strict and rigid. Not that. Not Pharisees. But am I so tired on the Sundays because I've been partying all night? Can I be bothered coming to church because I'd rather sleep in? Or am I so lazy so let's just stay online? Have I been thoughtful of what I do on the Sundays? When I sing, I'm singing to the Lord. What joy that is. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. We sang before. When we pray, we're, we're engaging with the Lord of the universe. We get to do this together each Sunday. When I listen, I'm listening to not just a man, but I'm listening to God. When I share in fellowship, when I have people over for meals, I'm sharing the love of Christ with the people of God. My week may be so busy, so busy, but at least in the pattern of creation, this cycle on Sundays, I'm reminded once again, the sweetness of the gospel. God is my father. Jesus is my older brother. The spirit is my comforter. Heaven is my home. I'm forgiven and I'm redeemed. It brings me back to God. You see, the Sabbath rest looks forward to the eternal rest that Jesus has won for us in his death and resurrection. Our weekly pattern is meant to be a reminder that there is the eternal rest. If we're not resting now, weekly, we've forgotten about heaven. 
But when we rest each week, we're longing for heaven. No more striving, no more burdens. I come to Jesus, I find rest for my soul. And so Sunday rest is a little mini foretaste of that heaven, the people of God gathered around Christ with great joy and jubilation, delighting in God, enjoying him forever. And that's what our Sundays is meant to be, a little foretaste of. And so again, do you have a clear, intentional, thoughtful, wholehearted Sabbath rest? Or is it so similar to the rest of society and it's not shaped by God at all? So that your day each week, what we want to see is that it is anticipating the great hope of eternal rest with God. That is what we do each week. We long for that eternal rest. Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your grand wisdom from the beginning of the world, you have instituted this cycle, one in seven, a day to rest in you and a day to rest from work. Help us to see how that is the focus of our lives, to focus on Jesus that day and to long for heaven as we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.